Well, uh, good morning, good afternoon, or maybe even good evening, depending on when you've chosen to join us online for worship. Regardless of when you're logging in, I'm just really glad that, that you've been faithfully carving out intentional time on Sundays to worship God with us. Well, today marks the seventh week we've been worshiping online, and I think for many of us, the novelty has worn off. At first, it was kind of cool and interesting to experience worship from our homes in a different format. It was convenient to be able to roll out of bed, turn on the TV, and, and, and have your Sunday service. Uh, but most of us are itching to get back to the way things used to be. However, now that we're seven weeks in and, and not seeing any clear uh, end date to our sheltering at home, uh, we really don't know. Uh, when that's going to happen, this return uh, to the way things used to be, this return to physical gatherings together as the body of Christ. I don't know if that's going to happen this summer, this fall, or even this year. If you haven't noticed over the last two months, um, whether it's an announcement, a bumper, or in a sermon, I've never used the phrase our new normal to describe our online worship. And I think one of the reasons why I've kind of stayed away from that phrase is because I just never wanted to acknowledge uh, that possibility or reality that this was going to be our new normal. I didn't want that to be the case because it goes against so much of what I love about worship, what I love about the gathering of the church. But regardless of what I want, regardless of what my preferences are and, and the things that I love, I've come to realize that this, this online service, this online Sunday experience, it must be our new normal for the time being. Even if the ban on public gatherings is lifted next month, I know that it's gonna take a long time for our church to figure out how to safely re-enter and resume physical gatherings on our campus. And I promise you that here at All Nations, our leadership is going to not rush it. Sorry, let me say that again. We're not gonna rush it. We're not gonna rush it. We're gonna be as thoughtful, we're gonna be as careful and as wise as we possibly can be. So today, I want to encourage you to really embrace this, this online service as your new normal, as your expression of Sunday worship. That you would treat this online service as a holy hour that is set apart to meet God and honor the Sabbath. That in this time that you would genuinely long to hear God's voice, be corrected by his word, to be moved by his spirit, to respond to him in singing and in prayer, that you would have an earnest desire to give God the worship that he alone deserves. And so this might be kind of weird, but one interesting thing that you can do right now is hit the reset button. You can actually hit the reset button on our service. You know how in Netflix, if you're watching an episode and you realize you you weren't paying attention, you can just play it back from the beginning. You can play it back from the beginning. Well, you can do that right now, guilt-free. If you're worshiping with someone like your spouse or your children, just check in with them. But if you realize that, yeah, for the first 20 minutes of service, you were just going through the motions, half paying attention to what's going on on the screen, half looking at your, your phone or, or eating a bag of chips or whatever it might be, um, you can have a do-over. In golf, we call that a mulligan. And the second shot is, is almost always better than the first. And then when you get to this part, this message, you can fast forward through the first couple minutes and, and uh, pass through this introduction. 
So brothers and sisters, now that we are almost two months into our online service, I hope that we would come to mature and embrace this as our new normal. That we would come to God each Sunday with the same reverence, hunger, expectation, and engagement that we would bring as if we were physically in this room together as a worshiping community. The novelty of online service may have worn off. Okay, maybe it wore off two weeks in, but the fourth commandment remains the same, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I hope and pray that we would continue to faithfully do this uh, as the body of Christ. Okay, that's my little soapbox intro, my soapbox intro. Today we're concluding our series titled Steadfast, and the passage I've selected is a famous one that comes to us out of Ephesians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul calls the church to stand firm against the devil and to take up the whole armor of God. If you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And trusting that you're there, may God bless the reading of his holy and inspired word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. The word of the Lord. In verse 10, I believe that we have the main command and controlling idea of our passage. We are called to be strong in the Lord. And we're reminded of where that strength comes from. It's in the strength of his might. So the outline for today is going to be framed around that main idea. And it's going to come in three questions. First, why do we need God's strength? Okay, why do we need God's strength? Second, what kind of strength does God provide? Okay, what kind of strength does God provide? And finally, how can we grow? How can we grow in the strength of God. So why do we need God's strength? And the answer is found in verse 11. So that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And Paul expands on this idea in verse 12, where he writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the dynamics of spiritual warfare, but I want to say three things about it. First, spiritual warfare is taking place much closer to you and I than we realize. 
It's much closer to us than we like to think. This is why Paul describes it as wrestling. He describes it as wrestling. It is hand-to-hand combat. The enemy is right there in front of us, tempting us, troubling us, trying to discourage us in the most personal and direct ways. And so, friend, we need to remember that the battle is not just a distant battle. It's not just happening in other countries and other places of false worship and idolatry. It's taking place in our homes. It's taking place in the midst of our relationships. As we're sitting on our couches watching TV, as we're waiting in lines to go into grocery store, there may be a spiritual battle that is waging all around us. It's very personal. Second, spiritual warfare may manifest in the flesh, but the battle takes place in the spirit. Right now, our focus um, nationally and globally, it's on combating a virus. Our focus is on economics. Our focus is on politics. Our focus is on our own anxieties, our emotions, our feelings, and our fears. Right now, our focus may be on just trying to get our kids through homeschooling and how difficult and how exhausting that can be. But it's important for us to remember why why these things, why these struggles and troubles are coming in the first place. And the Bible tells us, okay, not that uh, homeschooling is, you know, or anything. Anyways, I'll just pass on that one. Um, the Bible tells us, okay, that it's because of sin. Satan tempted and deceived our first parents in the garden. And the spiritual disobedience of Adam and Eve brought death and the curse into this world. That is why we're struggling and battling against viruses, against uh, political, economic, racial, relational strife. Okay? It's because of a spiritual curse. It's because of spiritual disobedience. It's because of sin. Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. And so our deepest need is a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. And finally, Satan's goal in spiritual warfare is simply this. It's to produce in you and I more sin. Okay? He wants to produce in us more sin. Paul describes this in, in Ephesians 4. Satan wants us to lie. He wants us to slander. He wants to produce in us greed and selfishness. He wants us to give ourselves over to sensuality, to be bitter, to be wrathful, to be unforgiving. These are the schemes of the devil. And the devil doesn't tempt us in obvious ways. He is deceptive. He's cunning. If he showed up dressed up in red with a pitchfork, it would be too obvious for us. And we'd obviously turn away from him. We'd run in the opposite direction. Okay? One New Testament scholar writes, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is baited and cam- it is a baited and camouflaged trap. Okay. A baited and camouflaged trap. Envy and jealousy. It can be triggered in our hearts by a little bit of time on Instagram. Greed can grow with just a couple of movements and observations in the stock market. Doubts and cynicism prejudice and racism can develop and grow in our hearts after reading just some articles online. These simple things that seem harmless can actually trigger in our hearts sin and ungodliness. 
So how do we stand against such a deceptive, such a powerful, such a personal enemy? I don't think any of us want to go head to head or toe to toe with Satan or any of his demons. When I was a young child, my brother and I, uh, whenever we had an opportunity, we grew up in Georgia, but we would go down to Florida and uh, spend a little bit of vacation uh, at beaches. And when we would go to the beach, uh, we would try to play this game where we would both try to stand our ground in the ocean against the waves. We were trying to be tough little boys. And so we would kind of dig our feet into the sand and when a wave would come crashing in, we'd like lower our shoulders as if we're playing football or something. And uh, we'd try to take the waves on. The smaller waves we could handle, right? We could hold our ground against the smaller waves. But as soon as a big set came in, as soon as big waves came crashing down, we'd both be washed away and we'd start tumbling towards the seashore. And I believe that spiritual warfare is kind of like that. There may be small temptations and waves that you and I can resist. We can resist on our own. We can resist because we're committed to following after Jesus Christ. We discern right from wrong. And those things can uh, be temptations that we can handle. But soon enough, the tide rolls in and heavy trials come upon us. And we don't have the strength in ourselves to endure. But this is where God's word is such good news for us. He doesn't just call us to be strong and steadfast on our own. He offers us his strength so we can stand firm. He doesn't just command us to gear up and prepare for battle, to gear up and prepare for warfare. He calls us to put on his armor so that we can stand firm on the evil day. So what kind of strength does God provide for us? And it's summarized in the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Now, a lot of people believe that Paul is describing the armor of a Roman soldier. And then he's taking what's a very cultural and direct example and then making connections into the Christian life. But what Paul is actually doing, he's not just Romanizing a a Christian principle. What he's actually doing is he's drawing from the Old Testament, specifically from the book of Isaiah where the prophet is describing the coming Messiah, the Messiah who would be a warrior of God who fights for his people. This is the kind of strength that God provides for us. Not strength like that of a Roman soldier, but the very strength of the anointed one, the very strength of the Messiah. So let's take a moment to unpack these elements. First, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. In Isaiah 59, God sees his people in peril. Justice is turned back. Truth is lacking. And Isaiah describes, or God, God observes, and Isaiah describes that everyone who tries to resist evil, they become a victim. They become crushed by evildoers. And as God sees this happening amongst his people, as God sees this happening in the world, his response is powerful. In verse 16, he, God, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is how God responds to evil. This is how God responds to our fallen world. No one is righteous. 
no one can save themselves. There is no one among humanity or God's people who can rise up to make things right. So God took himself, God himself took on flesh in Jesus Christ to be our righteousness and to be our salvation. Next, we have the belt of truth. The belt of truth comes from Isaiah chapter 11. The prophet is describing the Messiah as this shoot that rises out of the stump of Jesse. And as he is filled with the spirit of God, verse six tells us, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The Greek translation of this Hebrew passage is for faithfulness, here is aletheia, which our English versions translate as truth. Aletheia in the Greek means truth. The cursed came about, why? Because Adam believed Satan's lies. Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, but the second and greater Adam, Jesus Christ, was not deceived. He reverses the curse as the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is the way of Jesus, and he offers his truth as a response, okay, as a response to defeat the lies of Satan. Next, we have the shoes of readiness. The shoes are described as the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I'm sure you've heard this passage before. Isaiah 52, 7, where the prophet declares, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the message you and I declare on missions. This is a message we often tell ourselves as we are preparing to evangelize and share the gospel, but we declare it because Christ declared it first. Jesus declared the good news of the kingdom. He is the one who makes the way for salvation, and he is the one who brings about the reign of God over the people of God. His nail-pierced feet were beautiful because he brought the good news of the kingdom that you and I could have peace with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of he who brings good news. The shield of faith. Paul then exhorts us to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Just imagine that. Satan is, is, is hurling flaming arrows at the people of God to discourage us, to break us, to cripple us. And throughout the Old Testament, God is repeatedly described as our shield. God declares to Abraham in Genesis 15, I am your shield. Proverbs 30 verse 5, the Proverbs author tells us that God is a shield for those who take refuge in him. So we need to make this connection. Paul is describing the shield of faith. And in the Old Testament, we see that God himself is a shield for his people. How do we make sense of that relationship? The answer is this. We have to understand that it's not faith itself that protects us from the devil's attacks. It's the object of our faith that is the source of our strength. It's what and whom we put our faith in that gives us protection and defense from Satan's attacks. God is our shield. He is our defender. And as we place our faith in him, the flaming arrows of Satan's accusations, Satan's deceptions, Satan's lies, they are extinguished. 
Finally, in the armor of God, we have the sword of the spirit. And this is the one piece of armor that is an offensive weapon. The rest of the armor is defensive. The rest of the armor is protective. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. In Isaiah 49, 2, and in Revelation 19, we are told that the mouth of God's warrior is like a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. The mouth of God's warrior is like a sharp sword. Jesus Christ is the word of God who took on flesh. And his word is a double-edged sword. His word brings both life to those who believe and it brings judgment for those who deny. His word calms the storm and his word curses the fig tree. You see, friends, the armor of God, it's not just a summary of ethics. It's not just a description of, of how a good Christian, how a strong Christian lives her life. The armor of God is much more than that. To take on the armor of God is not a matter of just not lying or living ethically. It's not as simple as trying to be a peaceful person or, or not as simple as just trying to memorize as many Bible verses you can, as you can. And that means if you're really wielding the sword well. No, if we want to wear the armor of God, we must remember who wore it first. We must remember the one who wore it for us. We must remember the one who wore it into the greatest battle and secured victory over sin, over Satan and death. And what's amazing about the armor of God is that Jesus Christ, God's mighty warrior, he freely gives us his armor. He gives us his armor in the grace of the gospel. He offers his sword, his shield, his helmet of salvation, his belt. He offers himself to us. Now you guys know that I'm an avid golfer. I'm an avid golfer. And if you don't know, now you know. And not only do I like to golf, but I love shopping for golf clubs. I love shopping for golf clubs. And oftentimes uh, items on eBay will pop up that are literally the clubs of like tour professionals. Okay, these have been used by tour professionals. And so obviously they're extra expensive. I recently saw a set of irons for sale that uh, Tiger Woods supposedly used. They were beautiful, right? They were beautiful and crazy expensive. But here's the thing. Even if I bought those clubs, okay, Tiger Woods authentic, very clubs, I know I still wouldn't be able to hit a golf ball like him, right? I'm limited by my own swing, my flaws, my weakness. I need more than just Tiger's clubs, okay? I need a, more than just a good equipment, a piece of equipment to golf and hit a ball like Tiger. Well, here's the thing about the armor of God. God doesn't just give us pieces of equipment and say, defend yourself. He doesn't just say that. He, said, he doesn't just say, here's a mighty sword, fight. Here's a great shield, a heavenly shield, defend yourself, right? No, God himself is the armor. He is our defender and he is our shield. His word is our sword. Jesus Christ is our righteousness and our salvation. So when you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get both Jesus and his benefits. We get Jesus and his benefits. We get both a relationship and his resources. And in my last point today, I want to make this as practical as possible. How can we grow in God's strength? How can we grow in the benefits that God offers us in the gospel? And the answer that Paul gives us in verse 18 to 20 is that we grow in God's strength through prayer. 
We pray in the Spirit. We pray with perseverance. We pray to strengthen one another. We pray for the continued spread and proclamation of the gospel throughout the world. And it's such an interesting paradox, okay? It's such an interesting paradox that God has chosen prayer as one of the key ways by which he strengthens his people. I mean, if you think about prayer, physically, it's it's such a a passive activity. We're, We're on our knees, we're sitting down, we're, we're with our eyes closed, uh, closed. We're still before God. We're in a posture of weakness. But it's in this posture, it's through this discipline, through this experience, God gives us strength. God gives us strength. And I think it's such a profound and beautiful thing that not only are, are we able to be strengthened by God through prayer, but we can actually strengthen one another through prayer. I don't know how all of that works in the mystery of God's will, but I know that it does work. I know that I am strengthened by your prayers. I felt it and I treasure it. And if there's one thing I believe we can do for each other during this season of sheltering it at home, during the season of social distancing, I believe we can strengthen one another through prayer. I long for that. I'm praying for that, that we would be a praying people through this season. And there's one more way I want to encourage you to grow in the strength of God through prayer. To really be able to take on and experience the armor of God, and that's through repentance. Repentance is a specific expression of prayer wherein we are turning away from false things in this world and turning towards God. Okay, That's what repentance is. It is a turning It's a rejection of certain things, of vain things, of lesser things, and turning towards God in faith, in trust, and in dependence. When King David was a young man and he was about to fight Goliath, King Saul wanted to give David his armor. He knew that this was a huge battle. The future of Israel was resting on this young man's, this young boy's shoulders. And so Saul said, you know what? I'm going to equip you. Saul wanted to give David the king's helmet, okay? the king's chainmail, his protection. He offered David his own sword, the king's sword. And it made sense. It made sense to equip David with the best armor Israel had to offer. And it was the king's armor. But after trying it on, after David put it on, David refused the king. He refused the king's, because, king's armor because he said it wasn't tested. It wasn't trustworthy. Just imagine that scene. The king of Israel, Saul, he offers David his very sword. David picks it up. He holds it in his hand and he says, you know what? I don't trust it. I don't trust it. And he gave it back to Saul. And instead, David declared, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David didn't need the king's armor. All he needed was his Lord. All he needed was God's strength. All he needed was the might of God on his side. Friends, if you and I want to put on the armor of God, it means that we need to resist the temptation to dress ourselves with the armor of this world. As the coronavirus has made us feel exposed, afraid, and vulnerable, Where have you gone for strength? Where have you gone for security 
and a sense of calm? What things have made you feel okay? What things have made you feel like your family is secure and safe? My prayer is that you would find your strength in the Lord, that you would take up his armor, that you would stand firm in the midst of these difficult times, that through the gift of prayer, by being a community of prayer here at All Nations, by trusting deeply and daily in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I would stand firm, that we would stand fast for God and with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for offering us yourself. We thank you for offering us your armor, your strength, your salvation. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to really grow in our relationship and our dependence upon you and help us to grow to experience all of the benefits that come from knowing you, all of the beautiful benefits that come from trusting in you and walking with you in this life. Lord, you know our fears. God, you see us in the midst of the darkness that is surrounding. Father, I pray that you would provide for us strength, that you would sustain us in the midst of our weakness, and that you would remind us of the victory that has already been won by your son, Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, would you hold us fast in your hands, and by your strength, help us to stand fast, to stand firm in this world. And may we faithfully, just as the Apostle Paul was, may we be ambassadors to your kingdom. May we be messengers of hope. Would you put on our feet this readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace to the nations? Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.